Welcome to The Perfect Stool, Understanding and Healing the Gut Microbiome. This is your host, Lindsay Parsons, and today I'm talking with Dr. Robin Rose, Dr. of Osteopathy, who is founder and CEO of Terrain Health and is a double board certified specialist in gastroenterology and internal medicine, specializing in functional medicine. Dr. Rose practices next generation medicine, integrating systems biology with an innovative approach that requires a deep understanding of each person's biochemical, genetic, and lifestyle factors. Her philosophy is deeply rooted in healing her patients from the inside out so they will age less. But before I get started, if you haven't yet followed or subscribed to the show, be sure to do so. And if you want to get transcripts of the podcast, pop over to my website, highdeserthealthcoaching.com and sign up for my newsletter. You'll also get my free e-booklet called Finding Your Root Cause Through Stool and Organic Acids Testing when you sign up. Now on to the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rose. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So my first question is just since you are a DO or a doctor of osteopathy and not a naturopath like many of my guests, I'm curious what it's like to be amongst your DO and your MD colleagues, but focusing on functional medicine. Like, Do you encounter a lot of skepticism? Interesting. It's a good question. My colleagues, yes, I will encounter skepticism. However, from the people in the surrounding area where I'm starting to practice, they really are searching for this type of medicine. You know, I look at it as more precision healthcare, precision medicine. It's still, it's still driven by science. It's very data driven. And, you know, there's a lot of scientific basis behind it. So it's just as good, if not better than conventional medicine. And that's what I have to say to my colleagues that don't believe. (laughs) Okay. So today we were going to focus a bit on this biome FX test that's one of microbiome labs tests or that's their it's their gut health test. And I was just wondering why you like this as opposed to the more traditional diagnostic tests, stool tests in the functional medicine realm like the GI map or the GI FX. Yeah, I like that theirs is actually whole genome sequencing of the gut microbiome. I think that they do a little bit of a deeper dive. It's a metagenomic test. And I just like that the microbiome labs is so driven by R&D. There's just so much research and development and they put so much money into it. And a lot of their tests and their products are all backed by peer-reviewed studies. Mm-hmm. And do they give you the raw data or they you just know that they're sequencing the whole microbiome? So yeah, I know if- who they use. I know who they use. Yes, I know the company that they're using and they're really the only one that can do it. Mm-hmm. aside from maybe one other one and the raw data we're not given the raw data but i trust that it's it's the real deal that you're given the relevant yeah. data of yeah. the raw data right yeah because mm-hmm. yeah, i've seen like longevity or what's now the thorn yes gut test yeah raw data and that was really just straight up excel chart everything in the gut and now apparently they're not giving that anymore well, they're not supposed to, but same with MBL, like, you know, and the, the, yeah, they can't give, they're not really supposed to give the raw data. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> if people have information, they might do something with it. Well, it's probably the contract that they have with the lab that they use. I know who they use. The, mm-hmm. And actually it's the same, you know, longevity has the same issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not something that, I don't know if it's proprietary information. I wouldn't. I don't know the legal ease around it, but I don't think that they should be sharing it based on that. 
And do you know what the cost is to like the retail cost to the consumer is for this test? I don't, I pass the charge on to my patient. So we pay $2.99 and that's what my patient pays. Okay. So I don't know if like they, if some, some doctors just given, you know, they might retail it for differently, but that's mm-hmm. what the cost is. And that's what I, okay. that's pretty reasonable. That's yeah. comparable or less than some of the other gut tests. Okay. So I have a biome FX report and it's going to be on my website for people to pull up. So let me just give them that URL. That's going to be at highdeserthealthcoaching.com backslash the dash perfect dash stool. So if you want to go and pull that up while you listen to us or pause the recording and pull that up, then you will be able to follow along and it'll be at the bottom of the page. So let's start looking at this test and I'll just ask you some questions about it. Yeah. So it starts with this summary and Gut microbiome index, kind of amorphous. What do, what's that mean essentially? So the so yeah, so the microbiome index score takes into account three factors, and that's your alpha diversity, your beta diversity, and your resistance. So let me explain those. So your alpha diversity is what is what your species richness is. So how mm-hmm. so when you talk about you know your gut microbiome and you're looking at microbial diversity, right? So we have like trillions of bacteria, friendly and unfriendly. And then we have about 250 to 300 different species, right? So Mm -hmm. how many species you have occupying your microbiome, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's your alpha diversity. So what is your, it's your individual species richness. Then we look at beta diversity and beta diversity is basically, okay, so based on that richness, how do you compare, how does that compare to the U.S. adult healthy population or people that are living in your geographic area. And so whatever is there, like maybe your alpha diversity isn't that great or maybe it is fantastic, but but whatever is there, how does that compare to the other people living around you, okay? And and so wait, the, the, the alpha diversity is compared to what Yourself. population? Well, it's like, it's the nor it's norms of other people, right? Of like what their richness looks like, like worldwide. Yeah. Then no, it in the U.S. in the U.S. in the United. States. So I'm not clear Probably, on the difference. It then. could even be North America. I'm not really sure. It, you know, I always I have to ask. I always mean to ask them that question. I think it's North America. I think it includes Canada as well. I think they did this, but mm-hmm. it's basically like so. For example, like if I took you. And I put you into the Amazon rainforest, <laughs> okay, you would likely have, you could still have good alpha diversity, but your beta diversity would likely be close to zero because mm-hmm. you haven't been living there for long enough to accumulate that same type of microbial diversity that the Amazonians have. So okay. does that make sense? So that's how I explain it to my patients. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. And then- Based on your alpha diversity and your beta diversity, so based on like your species richness and your stabi- and the stability of your gut microbiome, how prone are you to perturbation? So if you get sick, you know, whether it's the flu or you have a stomach bug or a gastrointestinal virus or you eat something that doesn't agree with you, you know, how well does your gut handle, how resilient is it? 
right? How well does it handle those things? And so this person's resistome is really terrible. They're 1.71. Normally, it, they, they're actually changing the test. It really should be out of five. Nobody's, I've never even seen any patient above 3.8. <laughs> so, so this person, you know, they're, they're struggling. I, the, like I see most people cluster in the threes. Maybe I'll see some people under two, barely ever mm. under one. Um, and so that's what makes up that index score. So that person's index score is 23.64, right? Mm-hmm. Out of 40, again, it's a little skewed. I've never seen anybody's over 28. I would say mm-hmm. most people cluster between the mid in the mid twenties, like this score. And then some people I will see under 20 as well, but most people cluster in the mid twenties. And would it be safe to say that the people you're seeing have gut issues? Well, I mean, here's the, here's the thing, Lindsay, <laughs> we see everybody. Okay? okay. And so I, and it's a good, this is a really good point that you're making. So I would say that, the majority of people probably have some sort of gut complaint. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of my patients that have no gut complaints, but they have autoimmune disease or they have a history of anxiety or depression or migraines or a skin disorder. And so we know that the gut, you know, the gut is the guardian to your health and the gateway to disease and that, and there is so many connections that fan out from the gut the gut skin, the gut brain, gut hormone, gut thyroid, like I could go on and on and on, right? So everybody, I feel, unless they live in a bubble and eat plants all day, I think that they have an element of, of leaky gut and dysbiosis. And I think most that's why the vast majority of people have some sort of struggles on, like they'll, we'll see them struggling somewhere, or if not in many places on this test, because of the way we live our lives. I mean, whether it's the standard American diet, obviously, which most of us eat, which is horrible, and that doesn't feed our gut microbiome, and that destroys it, from alcohol that we drink on a daily, if not weekly basis, to the tap water we consume, to the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories we take on a regular basis, the antibiotics we're prescribed, the air pollution that we breathe in. I mean, I can go on and on and on, and that right, all right. of that is going to affect and chip away at the health of your gut microbiome. Right, right. So so it may be that the sample you're working with is a less healthy sample, that their test is based on a group of healthy people or, right. or some, but, or some right. mixture. But every, yeah, there's a, every, there's a range, you know, nobody's test is the same. I've never seen any, every person is, that's the whole idea, right? We're all uniquely different, right? We all right. have our own unique biochemical individuality. And this is just another piece to that puzzle when we're trying to figure that out so that we can really create bespoke healthcare plans for people and really treat them for their unique needs. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's scoot down to the next part yeah. of that same page, which is page two and yeah. look at the pathogens. So yeah. The, so the uh, Clostridium difficile is high. So here I, I'm, I'm just throwing this out because you know what the, if this yeah. was a patient of yours, yeah. what actually was going on, but say yeah. this person was not suffering from explosive diarrhea seven times a day. Yeah. Would you go ahead and treat C. difficile? Yeah. So the vast majority of people are overgrowing it. They're Mm -hmm. not, they're not pathogenically uh, colonized with it. And so, and I see a lot of people that have high C. diff. I do not treat them with antibiotics. What I do is, is I, I restore 
I repopulate and restore balance to the gut so that that C. diff gets crowded out. Okay. So you're more using probiotics and foods and such and prebiotics. Yeah. yeah. The, the idea is, is that we're all, and this is a summary page. So when you go down, you'll see each one of these things is going to be teased out. But basically, that's what we're doing. Like these pathogens, this pathobiome that you're seeing in this patient, the C. diff, the E. coli, and the bilophila, you will pick this up in many people. And, and even if you don't pick it up, they'll have like a very small amount of this in their gut. It's just when it becomes problematic is when it starts to overgrow and it's outside the reference range and it's too high. Mm-hmm. And that's when you want to deal with it. Okay. And just by chance, I happen to be thinking about this Bilophila Wadsworthia and, and that's one that tends to promote constipation, isn't it? It's actually consistent with SIBO because mm-hmm. it's a small intestine colonizer And so that's where we want to see bilophila living. So when we start to see high amounts of it in the colon, that means it's overgrowing the small intestine spilling over Mm -hmm. into the colon. There's two main characteristics of bilophila. It increases secondary bile acids, which are very toxic to the gut lining. And they're also hydrogen sulfide reducers. So anything that you eat with sulfur in it gets reduced to hydrogen sulfide. That's what it wants to eat up. And, and then when it reduces its hydrosulfide, hydrogen sulfide is extremely toxic to the gut lining as well. Oh, so this is like a hydrogen sulfide SIBO yeah. bacteria. Okay, that may have been what was sticking in my head. Yeah, it's really affecting your gut barrier dysfunction when you have bilophila. So we want to definitely deal with that. And a lot of patients will say, yes, I have flatulence that is consistent with a rotten egg smell. They may get bloated a lot more. And although we love our cruciferous vegetables and they're very important for feeding our gut microbiome, while we try to treat and rebalance this person's gut, we might have those people maybe eat those in much lesser quantities and maybe eat the other colors of the rainbow instead while we're trying to heal them. Okay. Yeah. So let's scooch down since this stuff goes into more detail further below. Yeah. And okay, let's look at page four and the phyla. Okay. So this is how I, the analogy I make with my patients, you have basically four major phylum in your, in the bacterial kingdom. (laughs) Okay. Sort of like if you think of the animal kingdom, I don't know if I can come up with four, but you know, you have your amphibians, you have your mammals, you have your reptile, right? So it's the same thing in the bacteria. You have like four main main players, okay? And you have your bacteroidetes and your firmicutes, and they are supposed to balance each other out. And then you have your proteobacteria and your actinobacteria, and they are, they are supposed to balance each other out, okay? And so if you look at the uh, adult U.S. healthy population, you should have about 64% bacteroidetes, 27.8% firmicutes, those should, right? And then you should have about uh, 2.86% proteobacteria and 4.21% actinose. So now let's look at this person, okay? First of all, they're so dysbiotic in the fact that they've flipped that firmicutes and bacteroidetes where, I mean, they have like no really they have no, they, they have such like almost half of what they should in, in the bacteroidetes, which is not good. 
they have a little bit more than what they should in the firmicutes and they have so much proteobacteria mm-hmm. and proteobacteria tend to be much more inflammatory also. Okay. So that's really, and then let's, if you scroll down a little more, you can see the percentage of actinobacteria that they have. It's on the chart below. It doesn't come up on the pie chart, but if you scroll down a little bit, I can show you right here. Yeah. So they have about only 1.82% actinobacteria. So that's not great. Mm -hmm. And then if you scroll right back up again, Lindsay, I can show you one other thing on this, on this uh, chart right here, this chart on this bar graph on the right. So as you mm-hmm. can see, it, it has the four main phylum there, the Bacteroides, Firmicutes, Actinobacteria, and it's showing you the percentages. And then what also is populating here, these are other phylum, but they're just much more rare and we will pick them up in, in people. And so like, for example, the Eukaryotas, you know, underneath where it says bacteria mm-hmm. of unspecified, the UP, the bacteria UP, they're methane producing organisms. Oh, the okay. The synergists are basically bacteria that are normally found populating the oral mucosa. Mm-hmm. And so if they are populating the colon, that means that there's likely an issue with low HCL or stomach acid or things being broken down above because they're not it's escaping and it's getting into the colon and colonizing there. The ascomycotas are associated with fungus and Candida and the eukaryotas are like protozoas, parasites, and fungi. Okay. So, those that's like the main things that you'll see in that. Like you'll see people growing those out. I've never okay. really seen anyone grow out the fusobacteria, the chloroflexi. So, not really. So, one thing I'm noticing on here yeah. is that they do not have unknown listed. And I have seen in the metagenetic data, perhaps, that there's a whole huge mm-hmm. section, something like half of the bacteria. That I think known. that that's what the the bacteria UP is. It's bacteria of unknown, I forgot. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So what's the highest you've seen of proteobacteria on someone's report from these? This. This is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever used Biome, B-I-O-H-M? Uh, their test? Oh, you mean, uh, no. No. Okay. Because I did one of theirs and mine was 50% proteobacteria. <laughs> so there ago. you go. <laughs> and, this, and yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Lucy Mailing, but she questioned their test because she said, I don't think that that's even physiologically possible to have that much proteobacteria. That's a lot of proteo. Yeah, that's a lot of proteo. Biome yeah. is, um, what's the full name of the company? It's not by, it's called, what's the full name? Biome of Health, company? maybe? Biome Health. It's the one that you you don't need a practitioner. You just order it and send you. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm I'm very familiar with that company. I've never used the test though. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of wonder whether there isn't like some grouping of the unknowns into (laughs) right, right into your. I I mean, I can't. I couldn't tell you if it's (laughs) if it's real or not. But yeah. But that's a lot of proteobacteria, and I was and I waited till I felt like I was doing really well. Like I was having a good right. health, good gut health week. And I thought yeah. now I'm going to nail it. I got rid of those proteobacteria and nothing. So what do you do when someone has this many proteobacteria? I mean, I would retest, I would retest them six months down the road after we've done really some, you know, really cleaned up the terrain, rebuilt the foundation, planted some seeds, sprinkled some fertilizer, you know, and did all those things to really get that person into a much better place. And then I would retest. 
And yeah, no, I had done all that stuff. <laughs> I reached out you should read the sweets. Maybe I can get that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, when you're done with this recording, what I'll do is, is I'll send it over. I know the owner of the company very well, and I'll give them this. I'm sure they'll send you a, a test, a complimentary test. <laughs> that would be lovely. I'm sure they will. And then you do the test, and I can, and I'll look at it. And Lindsay, I'll look at it for you, and we'll go. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So yeah. um, now see this, I don't pay too much attention to this. The families. Because you want to know, because it's really just the breakdown of what we just saw. So it's showing you the different families and then it will be broken down into further gene of like what those four main phylums. So the percentages are going to basically stack up analogous to the percentages we saw of the other four, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't get too crazy about this page. I'm like, eh. You know, okay. there's something crazy jumping out at me, which there's not. So, okay. So that was the families were on page five, speeding yeah. down, then keep going down. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So now we are now, at right. page six. Yeah. So now these are rarer bacteria that grow out. Okay. And a lot, I, you know, listen, I just had two, I did the, in the past two days and they had eight rare species growing out and someone had six rare species. I would say the average I see on most people is anywhere from two to four. Maybe every once in a while, someone will have one, but I usually see a a couple. Mm -hmm. And again, that's based on dysbiosis, your gut microbiome balance and what's going on. And then, you know, maybe some of these rare characters are just sort of rearing their ugly head. Not that it's that ugly, but, you know, just because they got space to, because some of the, a lot of the commensal and keystone organisms aren't there, right? Mm-hmm. So I can never, des, desulfovibriantiae, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is also a sulfur-reducing organism, right? So this person's going to have issues with gas, bloating, probably rotten-smelling egg flatulence at times, depending on what they eat. Mm-hmm. And the the egger the eggerthella species they, they they you know a lot of these rare species they have some good properties and bad properties you know it's like neither you know, it's neither here nor there that's why they're not really classified as pathogens right mm-hmm. they're just these rare organisms that we're learning more about and that we're seeing and you know we're seeing it more of an abundance in some people and more and more so in and more so in some samples than others. Yeah. No, back in the day when I was getting my first gut tests and you would yeah. get one of these, well, your species is, or your sample is particularly enriched for some random bacteria. Yeah. And I'd, you know, yeah. furiously search it in all the scientific <laughs> databases. And, and and at the end of the day, I'd be like, there's really nothing I can do about this. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know how to kill it or help it mm. I, either way. All right. So it's all about when we're restoring gut health and restoring balance. Like after we are done with this, really doing that with this person in particular, these species should really go away or we really shouldn't see them as much, right? That's mm-hmm. the whole point. That's why you're seeing it because there is imbalance right now. Okay. That's how, well, I, that's how I look at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so let's scoot down to the dysbiosis okay. ratios on page seven. Okay. So yeah, so first of all, this, ratio, the firmicusobacteroidetes, no surprise, is within norm. This is falling within range because even though they had a lot less bacteroidetes, they had some more firmicutes, but they didn't flip it. It wasn't like they tripled or doubled their firmicutes and did the same with their bacteroidetes in the opposite direction. So they sort of still were balancing each other out. So, because mm-hmm. again, it's all about balance, right? So this, right. this one's okay, but look at the next one. Okay. Before we do that, let me just say, yeah. 
or yeah. ask, yeah. is there a type of diet that tends to bring firmicutes into dominance? I would say probably when you're eating less plants <laughs> mm-hmm. and having more of like an inflammatory type diet. That's what I would say. Okay. And are the lactobacilli and bifidobacteria under bacteroidetes? Lact, I think so. I know bifido is. Okay. I, I have the answer, but I don't have it memorized. I forget about lactobacillus. Okay. So next one is the proteobacterobacteria. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of which, I have zero <laughs> actinobacteria, I think, right. from my previous samples. And, right. and there's like four of them. So. so this one's like out of control. So this is so... Now, let me tell you something. When I do these, I want to see everyone's ratio less than one because that's, that is the associated with like really good healthy metabolism, good cell turnover, stuff like that. So when you see it, this... So when even when I see... 1.5. I'm like, yeah, that's not good. You're di- you have dysbiosis. This person's at 14.75. So mm-hmm. not good. Okay. We got to fix that. Situation. Yeah. But I mean, is it possible? So just based on my previous samples, I'm, I literally think I had zero. Is it possible? I've just killed them all off and there's no getting them back. <laughs> no, you can get them back. It's, okay. you'll, you'll get them back. You got I've got, I've got small quantities hiding in, in my yeah. uh, appendix, right? <laughs> you'll, you'll, get, you'll get them back. Okay. All right. So then, and this, this one, I don't pay so much to everyone's is always around zero or Prevotella to bacteria yeah, or 0. 0.0, whatever. Yeah. Unless like every once in a while, there'll be somebody that has really high Prevotella and that's mm-hmm. when the ratio gets a little wonky and Prevotella like high amounts have been as some of the Prevotella species have been catered in autoimmunity and things like that. But for most part, I would say most people fall like, and even the vast majority are zero, like really zero. So in the U S that's which, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So scooting down to page eight, here's our pathogens that we were. Okay. Yeah. These are really high. So, I mean, the E. coli six, I, the high, saw the highest actually the other day, someone had 7.2. Again, unless the person is like really, really symptomatic and had some crazy thing like bloody diarrhea, you know, like this isn't giving Mm -hmm. me like, oh, this is E. coli 0157 or something, right? But there's Mm -hmm. clearly something going on where they have an overabundance of E. coli. And again, I'm going to go after the C. diff and the bilophila anyway. Mm -hmm. And as I do that, I'm assuming the E. coli is going to get crowded out as I get some of those good commensal keystone organisms repopulating the gut. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do, will they tell you if there's like a C. diff of 157? You mean an E. coli 157? I, mean, yeah, 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 I don't think if you scroll down a little bit, it gives you all of the pathogens here. Just go down mm-hmm. to the next page and you'll see. I don't know. Nope. It just gives you E. coli, you know, it gives you that type of salmonella. That's what it's giving you, those exact mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's, species and genus. It could be any sort of E. coli. There's E. coli nissel and then there's E. coli 0157, right? Well, you're assuming sure. unless the person is like definitely, you know, if they're really ill and extremely yeah. symptomatic, then it's just, again, this overcrowding, this dysbiosis imbalance, right? The pathogens are really overwinning the commensals. Yeah. It just, it sort of bugs me though, when they don't give you the strain and they don't give you the raw data. Yeah. They don't don't help me out here. It's hard (laughs) to do that though, I think, because 
I mean, because also like not everyone's a physician looking at this. And then I I just, I think it's unless it's a pathologic issue, Mm -hmm. then at that point you, or if you think it's a really pathologic, then you should just do a conventional stool test and see what you're growing out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just hard to know. Like, I mean, these numbers, what... What yeah. number would it have to say, or would it be more be symptomatic? Where you I want to say... say that they did. I did have a case where the C diff was like really high, and mm-hmm. I feel like they said if it was greater than five or something with the C diff, which I've never seen, you had to like treat with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, I would maybe then do a standard stool test and check it out. Yeah, back up. You should go to the last page because. The way I look at this, te- I would go last and I'll tell you why. I like to look at first who's taking up real estate. Like I want to, and before I get to structure and function, I want to say who's there, who's taking up real estate, what good guys are there and what bad guys are there. Cause I feel like it sets up the story much better. This page here. The- yeah. I told them to page move 20. This. Yeah. I told them to move this up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be up above. Okay. So yeah, this is pretty bad. So this person really lacks a lot of good stuff. So Acromantia is like one of your big, big keystone species, uh, huge for like short chain fatty acid production and metabolism. They have none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would be me. Phacobacterium prosnitzii, again, like none. You want to have a good amount that's protective against colon cancer. Ruminococcus bromii, Ruminococcus flavifaciens. Uh, these are both cellulose degraders. So <clears throat> anything that's like coming down through the upper part of the GI tract, middle part of the GI tract, that's not really broken down very well, especially like fibrous foods. These guys are there to really get them to a place where the bacteria can utilize their energy, use them as energy resources. And that's not happening. So you, you, you're going to need some help above. So this person I would definitely put on enzymes for sure. Mm-hmm. Roseburia, another one not detected. Let's see what else we got here. No eubacterium, no bifidobacterium, no lactobacillus. They have like nothing, basically. What else? And very little butyrococcus. So what do they have? Do they have anything? Hold on, go back up. I don't think they have anything. Yeah, they're lacking like pretty much in all of their commensals. So the issue here is that's why they probably have so much proteobacteria. Because mm-hmm. they just are so crowded out and have no good keystone commensal organisms. So looking at this, you might think, oh, this is a person who must have a terrible like standard American diet and mm-hmm. who knows what else. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I had a report that probably wasn't a heck of a lot different than this, except I had tons of the Fecalobacterium presnutsii. And you feel like you eat pretty good. And yeah. I eat, yes, I mean, I get you know, like gluten, dairy-free, healthy, you know, really high in fruits and vegetables. I mean, I eat meat and stuff, but not excessive quantities. So, you know, once you've sort of gotten into this situation and diet is not, doesn't seem to be turning it around. Yeah. And you've, and you've killed everything off and you've replaced it. You killed everything off and you replaced it. Like, well, I, I know the answer in my own case because I've got sort of recurrent SIBO, but what do you do? Well, let, well, first I always ask these patients, especially if they're like, well, I've been eating really good. And they tell me like, you know, I'm like, all right, so what ha- what's happened though in the last few years, right? Like, have you had extensive antibiotic use for something? Were you in the hospital? Did you have surgery? Did you like, I'll ask them all these questions that could really have really affected the health of their microbiome significantly. 
I always ask that because I want to know what has happened, right? Because it's so important. We always want to understand, you know, where the person has been, where they are, and then where they're going with their health in the context of their life so that we can interpret these a little bit better, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's important. A lot of people will give me an answer, like, and I'll be like, oh my God. And so that person, because they had like a major surgery, were on antibiotics or, you know, or they, or something else happened, whatever. They're really, really, really behind the eight ball. And so they're going to need a lot more help getting across that finish line. And especially, I can't say, I mean, you're, you're probably a lot more diligent than most people, but most people just aren't going to eat like a cow and really just eating like a cow and eating plants all day long is really going to get your gut microbiome to where it is. And then even it might not. And that can take like a long time, like a year or more. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I always support the patient, especially Americans. We're really impatient anyway, but I always support the patient, and I want to give them really good. You know, I want to lay the foundation. I want to start getting rid of the bad stuff, re-inoculating it with the good stuff, and then giving them the fertilizer and the things that they need to get that all growing back and sticking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be hard. It's not always the easiest thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I've pulled us up to page 10, but if you want to go somewhere else, yeah. I can do that. No, no, you're in the right spot. So now, okay. So now we've established, let's, so let's think about this patient for a second, right? So we know that they're severely dysbiotic, right? They mm-hmm. have severe dysbiosis. They have an imbalance, definitely of all the, of all the good, of all the phylum that they should have. Plus now that they, they have good significant amount of pathogens, right? And as a result, those pathogens and the lack of the good commensal organisms are going to affect structure and function. So we know for a fact they have leaky gut, like screaming leaky gut, actually. So mm-hmm. that gut barrier is significantly impaired. Okay, they, they definitely have gut barrier dysfunction. And now we're going to look at the at, at metabolic function, right? And let's see, and let's see how that's probably destroyed to some degree because we already see who's taking up real estate there and it's not a good it's not a good situation right Mm -hmm. so so now we're going to look at metabolic functioning and so we're so the bacteria are going to there's two different sources of fuel that they utilize and it's through either breaking down and eating carbohydrates resistant starches, or high fibrous foods, right? And that's their preferred energy source, okay? This is the sacrolytic fermentation is what they want. Mm-hmm. Proteolytic fermentation is like a backup that was evolutionary. It, it, it was evolutionarily developed by these organisms because I guess I think really when there was feast or famine, right? Because we were, you know, we were walking along, eating the plants, picking this, but and I guess if there was, uh, drought, you know, of some sort, and like nothing was really growing, then they had a game for food, right? So mm-hmm. they, so this proteolytic fermentation is a backup, but the problem is, is it doesn't prefer it, it doesn't want it, and a lot of the byproducts of this fermentation process are toxic to the gut lining, as you could, you know, the amines, phenols, sulfides, and they do other things in your body that aren't great. So when we are seeing these things, it's okay if we see them in a certain amount, it's like that Goldilocks theory, because some of them, the amines and the indols in particular, they do some good things for us, but it it has to be just the right amount, 
right? Mm-hmm. So let's see what this person's doing with their sacrolytic fermentation. So the major byproduct of sacrolytic fermentation is short chain fatty acid production, right? So let's look mm-hmm. and see what happened here. So it looks like they're doing pretty good, which is sort of interesting. Let's see. So there's three short chain fatty acids. They're going to make. Okay, you want me to go down to this? No, okay, yeah, there yeah, we go. Butyrate. butyrate here. Okay. Which, wow. So page 11. Wow, they're making butyrate. And that's good because this person's suffering in so many other areas. So whatever few commensals they have or whatever is there, they're really doing a good job spewing out and making some butyrate. Okay. Okay. And then propionate and, and propionate is really good for T cell regulation and not terrible. I mean, it could be worse. I mean, it's a little low, but it could be way worse. So that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And then acetate, your third short chain fatty acid. And, and, and when you have acetate, so if you have some of these species, if you have enough of them, like Roseberry and, and the Phacobacterium prosnitzii, they can actually, what they do is, is they then they convert the acetate into butyrate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you have enough of acetate, that's maybe why they get made this, why this person has some butyrate too, because they have enough of the acetate that's converting it to butyrate. All right. And mm-hmm. we know why butyrate's so good. It's great for everything like oxidative stress and metabolism, your immune system, you know, all those wonderful things that we need it for. And obviously to help with that gut barrier dysfunction, right. And keeping our gut lining intact. Mm-hmm. So do you supplement with butyrate for people who are deficient? You know, No, not if people really have none, I do like one or two supplements that can give you back butyrate and or propionate. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff circulating about that and how good it really is. But I feel like people just need a like, I'll do it for just a short period of time while I'm sort of again, like planting those seeds, right and getting those good commensals to start growing back so that Mm -hmm. then they can start making the butyrate, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll do it for just a limited amount of time if people are really that depleted and that deficient. Okay. And then this person's lactate. I find that the lactate will be on the higher side. And to me, this is not, like, I don't want, I don't like to see people's lactate really more than 40%. Again, this makes sense because there's probably, this person has a lot more lactate producers and then they have a lower abundance of the lactate utilizers. And lactate utilizers tend to be the short-chain fatty acid producers, which are those key stone commensal organisms. So, you know, you don't want to have too much lactic acid production, which is just like how we hear it being toxic to our muscles. It also is toxic to the gut lining. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, here's our proteolytic. So this is now using protein as their source of energy. And these are the the byproducts include amines. So you can go down and we'll look at these guys. So there's three different polyamines. There's putrescine, spermidine, and cadaverine. Now, putrescine and spermidine are good. Cadaverine can be sort of a bad guy. But these guys are important overall for helping us stabilize RNA and DNA. And so you want to have some of it. This person's on the lower side. It's okay. I'd rather them be lower than higher. But maybe mm-hmm. if they had a little bit more, it'd be fine. Uh, This person has like a high amount of phenols, which is not good. Phenols is extremely, extremely toxic to the gut lining. It impairs the intestinal barrier function. And P-Cresol, which is the main byproduct, it can be very toxic to your skin. Like, So a lot of people that have really elevated levels of of phenols or P-Cresols, they'll have a lot of inflammatory skin conditions too. 
So phenols are not the same then as polyphenols. No. <laughs> <laughs> the name no. could confuse people. Good, so good distinction, Lindsay. Good distinction. Yes. No, and then P-creosol, is that not a marker on the organic acids test? P-creosol. I feel like there is a P something. You're right. Yes, I think it is. I think it is. Cressol. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's on the oat. I think it is on the oat. I wish yeah. I had an oat in front of me. I could tell you right now, but I don't. I could, I could pull one up real quick but um, then throw the screen yeah, off, sounds, so I better not. <laughs> sounds familiar. Okay, so now look at this. So now we're looking, okay, ammonia production is sky high in this person, mm. likely because of the really high C. diff, you know, although mm. there's a bunch of other organisms that also produce ammonia. Mm-hmm. This person should definitely not go on glutamine. Mm -hmm. that's going to push even more ammonia production. So we'll leave that person alone with the glutamine for Mm -hmm. now. Interesting. Okay. So that gives you a good marker, but whether that should be a supplement for them. Hydrogen sulfide production. That's, they're having a little issue with their vendor that does all the raw data for them. And the hydrogen sulfide hasn't really been positive in people that (laughs) like it's been negative, but this person definitely, I can promise you is producing hydrogen sulfide based on their high level of bilophila. And also that they have that other rarer bacteria, the dead bronziae, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm sure this person, and again, hydrogen sulfide, so toxic again to that intestinal lining. And again, people that have high protein, low fiber diets and, sulfate reducing or bacteria are going to eat up that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so you basically don't trust their hydrogen sulfide marker at this point. <laughs> yeah, they got to work on They They are working on it. I don't know why. Okay. No methane. Didn't surprise me. They didn't have any methanogen producing organisms. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other than methanobrevibacter smithii, what, uh, what might be the other ones you'd be looking for? Oh, there's a lot of methanogens. I can't, I don't have them committed to memory. They fall all under the Uyarkeotas. There's a lot of different species. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Psychobiome. So. Okay. So we're on page 14 for the listeners. So now we're looking at like neurotransmitter hormone production. So GABA we know is like a really important neurotransmitter. Like a vast majority of it is made in the gut. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely certain, you know, they're using it as a psychobiotic actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They use certain strains, rather, excuse me, as a psychobiotic. Like I know, like Lactobacillus rhamnosus is one, and I can't, I can name maybe, I can't really name the other species, but they potentiate GABA production. We know that GABA is the calming hormone, the hormone that keeps, you know, that helps us sleep and it balances out glutamate and glutamate's the excitatory neurotransmitter, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's really important to have a lot of this around. So, some people I'll see that they have none, and but that doesn't necessarily mean that correlates with the GABA levels that are found in their brain, right? We know that there's this bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain, where even the gut is communicating, I think, even four times more with the brain than the brain is with the gut, but still, we don't know. We're still teasing out all that information, right? So, mm-hmm. but having a healthy gut is going to help us have a healthy brain. So, I... I'm assuming that you must see low levels of GABA in people with ADHD. So the thing is, it doesn't always correlate, right? Not not on this test, but I mean, yes. in general, that there that there would be. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I give it to my son to help him calm down. Yeah. Does it help him? ADHD. 
Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to take it much. I mean, I give him. I also give him phosphatidylserine, uh-huh. but he doesn't want to take the GABA. He seems to think that that kind of makes him not be him. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's funny. So when I was, I had sciatica last year, and I was so yeah. desperate to fall asleep that I was taking literally everything in the kitchen cabinet that I could find to make myself go to sleep, uh-huh. since I would have excruciating muscle spasms. <laughs> and I was taking GABA for a bit. Like I'm like, okay, we'll do the GABA, we'll do the melatonin, mm-hmm. we'll do the ibuprofen PM. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. it was everything. Anyway, I found that after some time. I was beginning to feel kind of depressed. Like I was sort of like not taking a lot of pleasure in life. And I'm like, I think that GABA's kind of too much GABA. Felt <laughs> me down a hair. Like that's not, yeah. you know, I that was not something that was out of whack for me. Yeah. The other thing too that for the listeners to know the difference, GABA. So basically melatonin is what is going to help you go to sleep. Like, so there's different people, different types of insomnia, right? You have people that have trouble falling asleep, people that have trouble staying asleep, and then or a combination of both, right? Mm-hmm. Melatonin is what helps you fall asleep. It doesn't help you necessarily stay asleep. Mm-hmm. Although there's some extended release version, but I don't know how how good that is. Yeah, yeah. GABA is what helps you stay asleep. Mm. So that's the difference. So it's good to always have that distinction or know that distinction rather. Okay, that's good to know. So now we're on glutathione, and this person has a massive amount of this too, which is great. I mean, it's the most powerful antioxidant in the human body, and it also acts as a hormone. It can potentiate the release of GABA and dopamine, and you know, it does a lot of other amazing things in our body, like obviously scavenging up free radicals, helping with oxidative stress, all those things. So this person has a lot of that, which is good. Not terrible. Okay. I'm not going to be like, that sucks. It's good. <laughs> so at least they have a few good things, not many, but <laughs> where else we go next? Okay. So we'll go to page 16. Yeah. So indoles, again, it's the Goldilocks. So you don't want too much of this. I, I, I would say this person might have a little bit too much. I'd want them more in the green. Again, the production of indoles, it's through the degradation of tryptophan, which is what we find in usually meats, especially turkey. You guys all know it's like the sleepy hormone, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, we want this guy because he helps increase the expression of the enzymes that help break down xenobiotics or toxins in our body. So you want, you definitely want to have like, like again, that Goldilocks rule, like just the right amount of this is important. Okay. Okay. So this is a good astrobolome in this person. I like to see a lot of my females, I, I find hug around this 20%, which I think is good just from my experience. You know, my my females that are pre you know, I'll see some people go up into the 30s. I think once you get it up into the 40s and you're dealing with estrogen dominance, that mm-hmm. could be an issue. And then probably women that start to fall below like 15, 13%, that's like, you know, you're probably getting more postmenopausal and stuff. Or okay. perimen- perimenopausal, maybe. Okay. At that point, you might want to do a metabolomic test, like look at a Dutch or something for to look at hormones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're on page 17 now, vitamin yes, biosynthesis. Na- right. So now we want to see how well are your gut bacteria synthesizing vitamins, right? Or making vitamins. So it's different. There's a distinction between making the vitamins and having the vitamins, right? So you could supplement, right? If you, But that doesn't mean you're synthesizing them well. <laughs> it's two different. So this is really showing us how well they're being made in the gut, okay? So let's look and let's see. So 
let's look and see how each vitamin is doing here. So B1 is looks, you know, it's decent. It's not terrible. You know, it could be way worse. You know, I like it into the green area, like 40, 50, 60%, but that's fine. B2 is good. They have a lot of riboflavin, so that's great. And and, and if, if it's not totally clear, the important part is that the gut bacteria are producing these. That's right. So this is another this is another snapshot of metabolic function, right? Mm, and and yeah. because of who's there and who's not there and the imbalance of the current gut microbiome state that this person has. So again, P5, B5, which is pantothenic acid, they don't really have any of that. Yeah. So they're probably um, fatigued, I'm guessing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you need that to produce energy. Uh-huh. B1 too, benzophiamine. I mean, B1 is very important for energy as well. Mm-hmm. They had some of that. B6, uh, looks pretty decent. I'm happy with that. Let's see. B7. They have a lot of B7. That's good. Let's see what else we got here. Page 19. B9, not bad. Folate and B12, not bad. I mean, I, I'd like to scooch it up a little higher, but not terrible. Okay. And K2, not it's good. You know, again, K2, not only for helping us put the calcium in the right places, like in our teeth and bones and not make, making sure that they don't get deposited in our soft tissue and our vessels, but also very important for VO2 max, cardiac output, energy, things like that. So, you know, this person's doing well here too. Can you explain VO2 max? Cardiac output. So okay. <laughs> you can, yeah, I'm sorry. So it's really cardiac output, like how I guess how powerful is the is your heart how well is your heart working right mm-hmm. how well is your heart pumping the blood to your extremities and to your tissues and your nerves and cells and all those things and so when you give K2 uh to people there's there's different forms of K2 the most commercially used is K27 although the jury's out on that I've spoken to people that think we should be using the uh, 4 M4 mm-hmm. But that being said, they've done studies where, and I know Quran at Microbiome Labs has a product that they've done studies on, and they increased VO2 max when they gave them the K27 at the dosage that was was uh, in the supplement by like, I feel like it was up to 20%, but I could, it was like 15 to 20% maybe, but it was pretty, it was pretty big number. And isn't VO2 max like, a, like you can measure when you're exercising? Yeah. something. You can, yes. So how do you do that? measure it. I'm, I think that there's a device you can wear that calculates it, mm. but that's how they do it in the studies. But I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You I know because I listen to another podcast that talks about VO2 max all the time. And I, it's, an, it's an equation. It's like VO2 equals blah, 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 or something. I, I yeah. I, don't know. I thought it had to do with like the, the max heart, heart yeah, I can rate. See it, right. I can see it in my head, but I'm like, wait, what's the calculation? No, mm. I don't have to look it up. Okay. So now we've looked over this entire yeah. Report and yeah. you're seeing this. So what's what do you what do you do with this person? So I'm gonna go after the the C diff first because mm-hmm. that's gonna have a lot of die off. There'll be a lot of toxins released. So I'm gonna put this person on binders, mm-hmm. bind up whatever's gonna die off, and I'm gonna give probably a more specific maybe supplement that like a spore former that is good at basically cleaning up C. diff. Like a spore-based probiotic. Yeah, like HU58 he has. It's really good. Oh, right, right, right. So that's a uh, that's a Microbiome Labs product, HU58. Yeah, that's B. subtilis. I like that product. I like 
Another one I really like is Clenzyme by US Enzymes. Mm-hmm. It's shown that there's activity against C. diff and it, it's, it's ozonated magnesium. It's really giving your whole gut a nice cleaning. <laughs> it has built-in binder as well. You're not, you're not giving antimicrobials though. And so I find that when I have people that tend to constipate the IgG2000, that's the binder that I'll use for microbiome labs. I need to balance it out. And the Clenzyme does the trick because it, if you titrate it up, you can titrate it up to like whatever, whether it's two doses or two caps or four caps a day, but it will help. You can titrate it to having a good complete bowel movement. It will balance out the binder, the uh, constipation uh, side effect from binders sometimes. So I like using them in combination and they're both sort of cleaning up the, the house a little bit. Okay. No, wait. Did you, did you say the mega, you use the mega IgG as the binder? The mega IgG 2000. Yeah. Right. 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 Which is like a derivative of colostrum. Yes. And then I'll use that in combination with the Clenzyme. Yeah. With the Clenzyme, like at the same time? A lot of patients I will, unless the patient has like significant diarrhea, then I'll Mm -hmm. just leave them alone with the IgG 2000. But a lot of people are, have the opposite issue. And then I find that they get even more constipated so I like the Clenzyme because it helps you poop and it also helps with C. diff. So I'll use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll use that with HU58. Okay. And then, yeah. So the Omega IgG2000, I've always thought of that as, as sort of, you know, if you've got low secretory IgA. That's I, the, I think you're thinking more of the Mega Mucosa. Are you thinking the Mega Mucosa has all the different immunoglobulins in it? Mm-hmm. And the IgG2000 is like just more specific and it acts as a binder. Okay. Because yeah. it essentially pulls out any toxins. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You got it. So okay. I'm, I'm talking about that. That I'll give later. I'll give the mega mucosa a little later after I've cleaned it up, you know, just mm-hmm. to keep their, their gut lining intact. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and keep that gut barrier function optimal. Okay. So I'll do that up front for that person. Let's see what else. So then... So I don't want to clean up that bilophila too. So there's a product by Master Supplements also called um, True Flora. And it really shows it does a lot. It has a lot of activity in the small intestine and helps with SIBO mm-hmm. and uh, reversing SIBO and stuff. So I, I, I'll use that for like eight weeks or so after I get them off the HU58 and the person's like feeling okay and I'll get them off the binder, I'll keep them on the Clenzyme. I'll put them on the True Flora. At the same time, while I'm doing this, I'm, I'm usually trying to give them some sort of prebiotic also, right? Because I'm trying to feed the good bacteria that's being established now mm. so that they keep thriving and growing. So do you use the Mega Pre? Yeah, I'll use the Mega Pre. I use that. I use another product called Sun Spectrum, mm. which has... um the ingredient in that is very, it's excellent. There's so many studies that show it increases butyrate production and those butyrate producing organisms. That's so, not sun fiber, is it? Yeah, it's sun fiber. It is sun fiber. Okay. Yeah, it's sun fiber in the sun. Yes, you got it. Yes. Do you find that that's better for people who are constipated though than people who have you know, diarrhea or sustool? I, don't, I haven't found a difference really, to be honest mm. with you. And I have a lot of both. The one I noticed, the main thing is with the IgG2000 with my constipated patients. That, but the sun, what I do with the sun spectrum is, is I, I, you know, the only complaint I will get is they'll get really bloated if they use too much too fast. Mm-hmm. Same with the Mega Pre though, too. 
So what I do is, is I have them like they'll put in a, sh- in a protein shake or something and they'll do like a quarter of a scoop for three, four days. And if they feel fine, then they'll go to half a scoop for three or then they'll go to three, you know, they just tight, go, go, go low, go slow. And mm-hmm. then you get them there and they're fine. I literally barely ever get a complaint if I do it that way. Mm-hmm. Now the ones that go off on their own and they didn't listen to us and I'm like, oh, you didn't titrate it up to do. They're like, no. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, so I'm like, all right, start over. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, it's funny. I haven't noticed why had you noticed the difference? I'm so curious. Like, yeah, no, just, I personally felt like, yeah. Well, because I was thinking about the, so I know that, I mean, the, the sun fiber is partially hydrolyzed gorg. Right. Gorgon. Yeah. And so I know that that's an adjunct for rifaximin for SIBO. And so I got some, but you feel like it's going to make you more constipated, right? Is that what you're going to say? Or no? no, no, the opposite. That oh, really? Okay. Well, in my personal experience, it made it, it, it felt like it kind of just went right through me and sort of sped up the bowel movements or increased them. And, and I and I thought that's not what I want. <laughs> I haven't had that. Did you? Did you? Do you think you just used it too quickly? Like, do you think you? I, I'm trying to think. Did I start with a? I probably started with a full pack. Yeah, go slow, go lower. I, I was I wasn't using Sun Spectrum brand. I don't think I mean there were they were in individual packets. I love Sun Spectrum, and Sun Spectrum has um other products in it that are really healthy mm-hmm. and help the gut lining. Yeah, I think it has curcumin. Mm-hmm. Does it have vitamin A? No, it has curcumin. I can't remember the other main thing. And it's like curcumin. I can't, I don't know why I'm blaming. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm the worst patient for myself though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never, I never follow the kind of advice. Try I the sun, no, try the sun spectrum and try to just do a little, like just a little bit of, you know, or try the mega pre either one, you know, either yeah, one. I've never done the mega pre, you know? so. Yeah, try the mega pre. Like, just do like start with again, like a quarter for like a few days, and do you know, and just like go slow, and you'll be fine. So I kind of struggle though with like philosophically the idea of giving somebody a prebiotic powder. I sort of feel like they could and should be getting that from their diet, from their food, right? And that I should be getting it for my food. You're a thousand percent right. But the problem is, is I just don't. I even think, so like, I really try to be plant-based, right? Mm -hmm. Like I even think about myself, right? Let's, let's, let's look at myself. So I, I do time-restricted eating. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I eat like do a 16, eight usually. That's how, that's just my life pretty much, you know, Mm -hmm. except maybe like on one of the weekend days or whatever. But I'll tell you, I just don't even have time to get enough of the plants in. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not getting enough of those, like if we're really being practical here, Mm -hmm. I'm just not getting enough of the servings in, I feel like to really help my microbiome to the best Mm -hmm. I can. So I feel like I agree with you a thousand percent and everything we do in the practice is getting people to understand like why it's so important to be more plant centric. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I believe in moderation and everything. I am not really one of those piece, people that demonize anyone macronutrient even, right? Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and so when you think about, you know, if you're a vegan or this, and I don't judge anybody if that's what they prefer, that's fine. But I would say for the most of my patients, I'm like, listen, get like your plate to be at least 60%, right? When you look at your plate, <laughs> like 60 or if it's 70, awesome, like to be the plants, 
sides, right? Mm-hmm. To be like all those beautiful vegetables, different colors, your salad with all these different colorful, colorful vegetables in it too. I'm like, and then the smaller portion of your plate can be like a piece of wild salmon or an organic piece of chicken or a ground you know, organic ground turkey meatball or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I guess, and God, if once in a while or once every two weeks, you want a piece of a beautiful piece of ground, like a small piece of ground grass fed, grass finished beef, it's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as you're talking about regenerative farmed animals and then you're putting not crap into your body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just yeah. think it's like it's like creating balance, you know? And I, I think once the people get used to having the plants as most of their plate, that I feel like you've done such an amazing job, right? Because yeah. it's so yeah. hard to get so many people to get there. So And and Yeah. Where do grains fit into that? Yeah. So I'm fine with grains. I'm not against grains. I am in certain instances when I'm trying to heal a patient and they have something going on. Mm-hmm maybe with like some autoimmunity or something like that. Right. But, but I'm fine with like a little thing, you know, a little portion of your plate to be a little bit of like uh, quinoa, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like maybe a little bit of brown rice or a little bit of, you know, like my kids even like, you know, we don't eat conventional pasta anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. <laughs> and you, so, you must have had you must either be be single or have a spouse who is compliant right <laughs> no he well he or does he make his I own pasta found, <laughs> no it was so hard to do and listen they're all full of like any of the pasta they all have like so much carbohydrate in them you know yeah, it's yeah. insane actually but the sugars aren't so bad right which is good which I look at even more right But Mm -hmm. I mean, I found this great brand that does a brown rice pasta. Yeah. And we don't really eat pasta that much. But when I serve it, it happens to be delicious, right? Yeah. And so we make it with like a really good homemade tomato sauce. And, you know, we put or we make with olive oil or whatever and garlic and blah, blah, blah. And we mix it with like a bunch of vegetables. And it's great. Mm. You know, so I that's great that they'll they'll do it because they my love house, it. It's, it's deli- Lindsay, I, I can't I can't pass that stuff off on my family. I mean, it's like complete mutiny. Starting with my husband, starting with my yeah. husband, then my older son. The whole the whole place would be mutiny. So wait, I got all <laughs> three of my kids to eat, and my husband. They all love it now. It is such a good brand. Okay, um, which one is it? It's ancient. I'm going to send it to you. It is so good. It's jovial, jovial. Oh, okay, I've seen that in the store. So good. Listen. My kids know when it's chickpea. <laughs> they know when it's they know when it's chickpea. They know when it's well, but when I give them the brown rice, they gobble it up. Gobble it up. I've just I've just given up. I just have we have two, bo- no, we have two pots. You gotta you we gotta do the brown rice. <laughs> Promise you, I got everyone in my family. We don't have any more conventional pasta in the house. It's brown and it looks like regular pasta. It's it's like it has the same it's really good. Okay. And like they make a penne, they make a farfalle, they make elbow macaronis. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, Lindsay. Yeah, no, one, one time, no, you see, here's the thing about my family is even if you don't tell them and you try and just fool them, yes. somebody is going to begin to sniff something out because they yes. know I'm gluten free. <laughs> and if I'm eating Dang. it and they're eating it, there's a problem. And so even if it tastes perfectly fine, 
like somewhere in the meal, somebody's going to be like, wait a second, you're eating this too. Something's right. You fed us. And then, and then I'm going to get reminded of the time when I tried to pass off turnip fries as French fries. And then it all goes oh south. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I really, honestly, I'm telling you, I, there is no way you cook it for like eight minutes. I'm telling you, they will all like it. Put a yummy marinara sauce on it. I'm telling you. Okay. And okay. there's no way you have to let me know. You have to try it because I li- and I give it to all their friends. All of their friends eat it. Nobody doesn't eat it. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you on this one. We'll give it a try. Okay. okay. So I've kept you much longer than I should have because of our technical difficulties. Sorry. How, do, how should we, how should we wrap this up? How sh- I don't know. So Is there any, I, any final thoughts on, on how you might help this person? Yeah. So I, so basically I'm going to, after I'm done with the C diff, I'm going to go go after the bill fill, like I just said, with that chew mm-hmm. floor. I'll probably keep them on the cleanzyme, keep them on a prebiotic, keep them on digestive enzymes. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably retest them in six months, you know? Okay. But nowhere yeah. in here did I hear any antimicrobials. You're just you're just using probiotics, I'm prebiotics, not. enzymes. I'm not, doing, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. No. Is that for most people or just this particular yeah, profile? The vast majority of people, I don't use any antimicrobial unless like unless I see some weird pathogen. Okay. So you're yeah. you're using the yeah. spore-based probiotics to to cull and shape the microbiome. A combination of those or maybe some other type of pro depending on what the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. So I will link to microbiome labs, stool tests. This the BiomeFX and and products, yeah. so if people want to use that and and through yeah. my through my yeah they have great products. I have an affiliate account, so they can get a twenty percent discount using my affiliate account. That's so nice, link. yeah. And it's a great they have great products. Yeah, I, I give Megasporbiotic to to a lot of clients. Yes, it works great. It works yeah. great. I would say you know, like I said, everyone's different. I'll get like I had a person the other day that I did a consult on this, you know, through microbiome labs. And he was like, it just doesn't work for me. The me- this four biotic doesn't work. So I'm like, okay, we're going to try something different. Like again, everyone's so yeah. different, right? So not everything's going to work the same for everybody. So we have a lot of tools in our toolkit and we'll just try something different for that yeah. person, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, a so. round of it for, I, I give almost everybody at least a month of it, but they're so expensive and <laughs> all of the, Good brands are expensive, and so all of them are. Everything is expensive. Yeah. On top of everything else, I feel like it's just a lot to ask of people sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But listen, so when you get when you when this is done, you got to give it to me. I'll get it to Quran, and okay. we'll get you a stool test, and then we and then we'll <laughs> okay. Follow up. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what those proto yeah, bacteria look like. That would be interesting because I, I, you know, I never knew if I could trust it or not, and I'll have to. I'll have to make sure my SIBO is not acting up when I do that. <laughs> you should get rid of your SIBO. Oh, I you still have your keep SIBO? trying. I, I I just did the IBS smart test and found out that I do have autoimmune IBS essentially. So wait, what did you do? You said you did. Why you broke? I do. It was positive for the antivinculin. Oh, you did it. Oh, yeah. What? It, yeah, I didn't hear what you read. Is that the Vibrant test? No, the IBS smart. Yeah, Vibrant has the same thing. Oh, do they? Okay. The antivinculin yeah. antibody. I think I have anti-vaniculin antibody too. I just did it like a week ago. I mean, I got the results a week ago. Well, did you, you know, it usually, that usually results if you've had like an infectious, an infectious. Right. And I did have a couple nasty incidents of food poisoning. Yeah. Me, so I was, go. yeah. And I, I was funny that we were talking about before. I was, I was hospitalized for E. coli 0157 when I was in medical school. Wow. 
And yeah, no, I had never had anything that had me hospitalized, but I, I lived in Costa Rica a couple different times. And oh, there you go. Once I got one, yeah. some weird thing, I don't know what it was, but I had to take some strange antibiotic for it. And then the other time was a full on just food poisoning because I left mayonnaise sitting oh. for two days and then made like tuna yeah. salad. So what are you going to do with your anti-vaniculin antibody? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of working on the prokinetic question right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm playing with a barrel gas, but I'm thinking I want to see if I can get somebody to prescribe me something. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm, 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 I'm launching into a study on prokinetics now. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Let me know how that goes. Oh, it's really Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and all this great information about Maybe this test. Nobody's talked pleasure. about this or, or worked on it before. So, so this is an, an interesting new approach. Yes. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Rose, I'll link to her practice terrain health in the show notes. And I've also got a link to microbiome labs who make the biome FX test. And most of the products she mentioned, like the HU58 probiotic, mega spore biotic, mega pre, mega IgG2000 and mega mucosa. And you can get a 20% discount on the test and those products using my link. And I'll also put a link to my Wellabate dispensary, which carries the other products she mentioned, like the Clenzyme and Truflora. And you can get all of the Microbiome Labs products from my Fullscope dispensary as well. So I'll link to that too. And of course, if you use my links, you're supporting the show. So thank you for that. And if you'd like to connect with me online, you can follow my High Desert Health Facebook page or join my Gut Healing Facebook group or join my newsletter list at highdeserthealthcoaching.com. And you'll find links for all that in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today. And here's wishing you all a perfect stool. 